morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Tuesday, August 30th, we're studying Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 1 to 17. Moses instructs Israel concerning the three festivals when all the Israelite men were to gather in the place that the Lord would choose, the Passover, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Booths. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Doug Gribbenau. Pastor Gribbenau serves as Mission Advocate for KFUO Radio in St. Louis, Missouri. Pastor Gribbenau, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thank you, brother. It is my great pleasure to be with you all today. So I think you had a section of Deuteronomy, what, chapter 4 earlier, and we've we've come a few chapters since then. We're in chapter 16. What do we need to know as we, in terms of context as we look at chapter 16 today? Well, certainly, you know, we, we've come into this section of Deuteronomy that is, that is really walking us through the ceremonial laws. Um, and, and one thing for us to remember as, as Christians, this side of, of Christ's incarnation and the fulfillment of all the promises in the Old Testament is a lot of these, these laws, these observances from the Old Testament time have come to their completion. They have fulfilled their purpose with the, the fullness that is in Christ's incarnation, the Messiah now come and having fulfilled the law, we we now live uh, free of a of, of a bunch of these ceremonial laws and these civic laws. Uh, the the remaining law, the one that, that Christ Himself expanded, was was the moral law, which is really we could sum it up entirely in in the Ten Commandments, or as Christ did, <laughs> the, the greatest law is to love the Lord your God with with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your soul. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. This law of God uh, is an eternal law, and, and, and so it continues. It persists uh, from the foundation of the world uh, to the end of the age. But these ceremonial laws, while prescribed uh, and, and, and held as a law that God has enacted for the people of the Old Testament, for those who were awaiting the fulfillment of God's promises— uh, so, so we Christians, this side of the incarnation, are free of these laws, but it is still uh, laudable for us to look back to the Old Testament and to understand uh, God's purpose in, in establishing these requirements and what it is he was bringing forth in his people of faith uh, that we now have fulfilled with us. And so it's still laudable and, and salutary for us to look at at these requirements because they, they are teaching uh, and they are forming God's people into those who then stand in, in the place with the resurrected Lord, we who have been joined to his death and resurrection uh, by the sacrament of holy baptism. 
So even though you and I will never celebrate the Passover and the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Booths, as Moses describes it in Deuteronomy 16 and in other parallel texts from the five books of Moses, even though these instructions are not binding upon us in the way that we're reading, we still have benefit in learning the way that God did teach his people to worship, what he taught them through that worship. And and I think particularly for us, one of the things we're going to find as we look at this text today is how these feasts of the Old Testament pointed forward to the worship that we do have in Christ on this side of the incarnation, as you said. Amen. So, Pastor Gribbenau, I almost want to start our time together with verses 16 and 17 of this text, because you get a, a summary of everything. I think I'm just going to read the whole text, and we'll we'll break it down in its parts. But just keep in mind that verses 16 and 17, they're going to hear at the end. That's where we're going to kind of get a summary of the three feasts that we're going to hear about one by one in this text. So, Deuteronomy 16, beginning at verse 1, Moses is speaking. Observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. And you shall offer the Passover sacrifice to the Lord your God from the flock or the herd at the place that the Lord will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that all the days of your life you may remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. No leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory for seven days, nor shall any of the flesh that you sacrifice on the evening of the first day remain all night until morning." You may not offer the Passover sacrifice within any of your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, but at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell in it, there you shall offer the Passover sacrifice in the evening at sunset at the time you came out of Egypt, and you shall cook it and eat it at the place that the Lord your God will choose. And in the morning you shall turn and go to your tents. For six days you shall eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day, there shall be a solemn assembly to the Lord your God. You shall do no work on it. You shall count seven weeks. Begin to count the seven weeks from the time the sickle is first put to the standing grain. Then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a freewill offering from your hand, which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite who is within your towns, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are among you, at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. You shall keep the Feast of Booths seven days, when you have gathered in the produce from your threshing floor and your winepress. You shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns. For seven days you shall keep the feast to the Lord your God at the place that the Lord will choose, because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands, so that you will be altogether joyful." Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Booths. They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. 
That's our text for today. Deuteronomy 16 verses 1 to 17. Pastor Gribbon, we've got three feasts, Passover, weeks, booths. Let's start with Passover. What what do we need to talk about with the Passover? Well, you know, I, I think actually we'll we'll do as you had suggested, perhaps sixteen ha. and seventeen. Because all right, start I, us there. I, I had a good idea for once. You know, I, I was in the Navy, and they always taught us, you know, tell people what you're going to tell them, tell it to them, and tell them what you told them. <laughs> and and you know, <laughs> I think the wisdom comes from Holy Scripture because here Moses is is telling us what he's told us already and recap it for us. But yes, we're, we're talking about three feasts, three festivals, three gatherings of God's people. And of course, verse 16, three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God. And just as we have in, in the New Testament, uh, where we have Adelphoi, you know, brothers, which in many cases is also inclusive then of brothers and sisters, because the, the males of Israel would stand in in the place of their family. And so they would appear before the Lord and behind them sort of figuratively, as we would say, stand, you know, their the wives and their children, their, their whole households. And in fact, in the latter two feasts, uh, they would then stand and behind them also would, would be sojourners and widows and orphans, those who did not have a family. So they, they the whole people would be gathered there before the Lord to stand there. So not just not just the men, even though the text says all the males, but they stand in the place with their family to be before the Lord, to be gathered in one place as his people. And part of this is because the the tribes of Israel were were now starting to uh, be be dispersed, uh, starting to go out into places and and form other towns. And you know, through the through the Exodus uh, they had been gathered together and moved as one group, and now they they're going to start being farther apart. Hmm. But God is well, t- calling and recalling them uh, so that they can be in one place again, especially these these three times a year. Go ahead. No, I I really appreciate the what what you're saying, and to say you know when it says all the males, we should understand all Israel is gathering together. The males are representing their families before the Lord, but everyone's there, and I, I really appreciate what you're saying about the context in which Moses is speaking these words. He's giving them to people who have been wandering together as one huge group of people, but they are about to go into the promised land, and they yeah, will one settle huge group of people, and. You know, it's it's much like when we have uh, family gatherings. You know, the the American Thanksgiving, right? You know, the the kids have have gone off to college. You know, you, the empty nesters then call their children, call their family back to gather together again because you know you you are a family. You've spent so many years together, and there is uh, it's not only a wonderful thing, you know. But it, it enlivens and enriches the soul to be together, gathered in one place. Now, we, we also, uh, as, as Christians, must, must remember what is being taught here, because this is why we gather together as the people of God in, on, on Sundays in the divine worship service. The people of God gathered together in one place that we may then be, be the body and it's incredibly important to be gathered as as his people and to be in fellowship and communion with one another, the communion of saints uh, gathered 
and, uh, and to build each other up, to bear one another's burdens, to celebrate together the wonderful gifts we have uh, from God in, in his son, Christ Jesus, who has redeemed us from, from sin, death, from the power of the devil, brought us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This matter of gathering together as God's people, which happened in for the people of Israel and then for us still today, I think ties into something else that, that Moses doesn't include in his summary, but it's spoken in both the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Booze, that this is to be a joyful thing. And certainly the the matter of gathering together as a family, that's a joyful thing. And and how much joy there is for us as Christians to gather with the family of God. Talk about how those two things go together, the gathering and the joy of, of our worship. I, I have a... Uh... I have a five-year-old. Oh, no, excuse me, a six-year-old. He's had his birthday. And an almost three-year-old. And I, I think to myself when when I'm reading this, you shall have a feast and you're going to be happy, right? <laughs> I think <laughs> my kids, oh, church is so boring. How can I be happy here, right? How can I be enjoying Easter when I know the Easter egg hunt is happening after church? Right? But it, it is not so much that God's saying, be happy, as much as he's saying, you know, hey, guys, that this doesn't have to be, you know, uh, sort of this morose kind of thing. This is a feast. This is a wonderful celebration because these these latter two especially are a remembrance. Actually, all three of these festivals are a remembrance. Uh, but the latter two are are really focused on remembering God's providence, his gifts, and, and really remembering the truth that everything that we have is gift. Everything is from God, uh, be it uh, you know the, the, the bank account, the food on the table, the clothing on your back, uh, you, the wife and child that you have. These are God's gifts to us. Everything is given to him, and it's a wonderful remembrance. And part of the teaching that takes place in the fact that these are sacrifices is that we live in the absolute trust of God, that we, we don't have to hoard and, and hold on to and make sure that we have enough for tomorrow because we know that our Lord cares for us, that he knows our needs. And so we, in, in the Lord's Prayer, you know, give us this day our daily bread. We know, Lord, that you will care for us and watch over us. And so we are free to joyfully return uh, you know, these tithes, these offerings from the abundance that you have given us. Uh, and especially to share them in these latter two festival offerings with with people who are who are outside our family, uh, the uh, what is it the the Levite, the sojourner, uh, the widow, the fatherless, the orphan, uh, those who who have not uh, from our abundance we share we share freely and gladly, uh, remembering God's gifts and His blessings that He has promised to give to us. In chapter 14 of Deuteronomy, Moses described the tithe that was to be given when they go into the land. And there too, the joy was tied to the giving. And here it is once again in these three feasts, the people are gathering together to appear before the Lord with joy, with the things that he has put into their hands now to give to him. Does that about does that about sum up that those last two verses of, of summary, Pastor Gribbenau, is there any more we need to pick up before we start looking at the individual feasts? 
you know, the one thing, there is one thing in this summary, and we'll hit it when we when we start walking through each of these, but this this phrase at the end of verse 16, I actually omitted it when I read verse 16 uh, to focus on appearing before the Lord, but it says, three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose. And we're going to see that, uh, that declaration uh, and that reminder <laughs> in each of these three feasts, it, it, and it comes up frequently. So th- there's an importance here. But let's let's dig into the feasts. Okay. All right. So Moses starts with Passover, which I, I think it, as he arranges this chapter, he's working chronologically according to the year. So on the calendar, Passover shows up first, then the Feast of Weeks, then the Feast of Booths. Passover is probably the most familiar of all of these to to most Christians. Get us started talking about the Passover with what Moses has, with other information from the rest of the Old Testament. What do we need to know? What do we need to talk about with the Passover? All right. Passover, uh, or or as the, the Hebrew word, you know, the Pasach, uh, from, what, from which we get the Paschal Lamb, right? And Christ is the Paschal Lamb, God's Lamb of Sacrifice. And so this is a recollection and a reminder back to uh, back to Exodus, back to God's uh, mighty work, the tenth plague that He brought forth in the land of Egypt to to free Israel from its slavery in Egypt, uh, to rescue them from their captivity, and and it's once again this is God foreshadowing and teaching through history what it is he will do in Christ Jesus. Uh, Israel was slaves in, in the physical world, and God's mighty hand brought them forth and teaching them this the, the Pascha, the Passover, this Paschal lamb, the blood over the lentil by which the, the angel of death going through Egypt would, would see that household covered by the blood of this, this spotless lamb and would pass over them, hence the name Passover. Of course, you and I, uh, redeemed by the blood of Christ, the the ultimate, the final and most perfect, uh, sinless, blameless, spotless Lamb of God is Christ Jesus, whose blood covers us and now is rescuing us, redeeming us from the slavery of our souls, of the fallen nature of us that clings to sin and, and, is, and is bound to be at enmity with God, with creation, with others, and, and even with ourselves, and to bring us out of that slavery into the new life of Christ Jesus, covered by that, that blood. And so this is this remembrance, this Passover, uh, and the remembrance is of the of the liberty, of the freedom, of the redemption that God has wrought. And the teaching here is to look then for the ultimate redemption that God will bring forth in fulfilling that promise of the seed of woman, of the Messiah, that 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 first gospel promise made all the way back in Genesis chapter three. Hmm. So I, I think I bring this hymn up every time we talk about the Passover and particularly its connection to Christ. I can't remember the last time I did it, but I'm pretty sure I did. So I apologize for being repetitive, but I think it's, it's so beautiful. In Luther's Easter hymn, Christ Jesus lay in death strong bands. He makes this connection from the Passover 
to our Lord Jesus Christ, which of course is the connection that the scriptures make for us. But he says, for example, in stanza five, as it's given in Lutheran service book, here our true paschal lamb we see whom God so freely gave us. He died on the accursed tree, so strong his love to save us. See his blood now marks our door. Faith points to it. Death passes o'er and Satan cannot harm us. And I, I won't read the rest of the, the hymn, but hallelujah. those, yeah, we got to, yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah, hallelujah. hallelujah. Thank hallelujah. you. That's right. <laughs> that, but the rest of the hymn uses the same imagery. I mean, it talks about feasting on Easter, on Christ, the bread of heaven, keeping the festival that our Lord gives us so that the connection is, is quite clear in this hymn. And again, Luther's drawing from the scriptures, for example, John the Baptist, his primary sermon that he preaches, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he's using Passover imagery. So, I mean, the Passover is one of those key indicators of the Old Testament pointing forward to Christ, such that, as we said at the the outset, even though we don't keep the details that are given in Deuteronomy 16, verses 1 to 8, we do still celebrate the fulfillment of the Passover when we receive the gifts of our Lord Jesus Christ. Talk a little bit more about that. Well, you know, it's been said that every Sunday is is a little Easter <laughs> because there we have the, the true body and most precious blood of Jesus that has been uh, given and shed for us for the forgiveness of sins and the strengthening of our faith. And, um, and you know, Pastor Apple... <laughs> I talked so much, I forgot your question. <laughs> Does that well, we're talking you, about brothers and sisters. <laughs> that's okay. No, that's okay. That happens to me too. So, <laughs> so we're 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 talking about the Passover and the way that even though we don't observe these details as they're given in Deuteronomy 16, how in Christ we do celebrate the fulfillment of the Passover, that which the Passover pointed to. Well, Amen. There we go. And and the Lord's Supper, you know, was instituted. During the Passover, right, and 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 he used the the elements that that God had had established for the celebration of the Passover. Those elements then he carries over into this this fulfilled Passover, which is the Lord's Supper, the supper of the slain yet standing Lamb. And of course, we we also remember that the Lord's Supper is but a foretaste of the feast to come, the the marriage feast, the celebratory feast in the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, where all the saints gather together uh, to to be nourished and fed uh, by God's own hand, and and so this uh, we we look back into the Passover and we're reminded here of, of what these sort of fundamental elements are, and uh, as we have in in verse three, uh, you shall eat no leavened bread with it. Uh, seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that all the days of your life you remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. And of course, the, the remembrance is that you you were <laughs> you came out of the land with God Himself leading them forth, uh, and God's mighty works that had uh, freed them from that slavery. The bread of of affliction, um, leavening is. Uh, Part of the the idea is leavening takes time to work within the dough, and God's people were instructed in the Exodus to prepare this meal in haste um, because, well, as we might say in the New Testament, no one knows the day or hour of the Lord's coming. And so they, they knew when 
because of God's uh, declaration when the angel of the Lord, when the plague would pass through the land, but not necessarily when that angel of the Lord would pass over your particular house. And so there was a, a meal of, of, uh, of haste, of, of, I think, some trepidation. You know, this, there's a plague coming, uh, and, and, and we have been given uh, the means by which the, the Lord will preserve us. And so this mm. this this bread of leavening um, is also then seen in in the New Testament um, and and by the early church that that leavening also stands as a uh, in the place of 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 sin and we we sort of see that reference in Luke chapter twelve when it's talking about the, the leavening of the Pharisees right that, that they had started to build their own laws greater and greater and it would just continue to expand as leavening does in 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 foods in bread uh, and so this unleavened bread then is seen as as deliverance from our slavery to sin deliverance from sin so the uh, an image of sort of purity. Um, and bread that is is hastily made, right? And so, we to this day celebrate the Lord's Supper with with unleavened bread, um, or we might say, as the as you know, the New Testament allusion is that the, this this bread of heaven, this this manna, we might say, that is that is free from sin because it is uh, the one sinless offering in God's own Son Jesus Christ, tempted in every way as we have been. And yet, without sin, and so this this bread then becomes the true body of Christ by His Word. Yeah, but Paul Paul makes a connection here again with the matter of leavening in First Corinthians five. He says, "Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth." Luther draws on that imagery from the hymn that we were mentioning earlier: that in Christ we have the fulfillment of the Passover. He is the Lamb of God who has been slain, now reigning. He gives his body and his blood for us in the supper, this festival that we keep the fulfillment of the Passover. We're going to take our break right there. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking about Deuteronomy chapter 16 with Pastor Doug Gribbenau. We will be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. 
Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, August 30th. We're studying Deuteronomy 16, verses 1 to 17 with Pastor Doug Ribbonaw. He serves as mission advocate for KFUO Radio in St. Louis, Missouri. Pastor Ribbonaw, we've been talking about the Passover, the first of the three feasts that Moses mentions here in Deuteronomy 16. One, one thing that strikes me, and this happens, I think, just about every time Moses talks about celebrating the Passover, is the way that he speaks about celebrations in the future as if they're the one that happened the night they left Egypt. So, for example, the end of verse 3, Moses says that the purpose of this is so that all the days of your life, you you may remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. As Moses is giving these instructions for people who are going to go into the promised land and for generations to come, there will be a day that comes when those people celebrating the Passover weren't actually ever in Egypt. They've lived their whole lives in the promised land. And yet in celebrating the Passover, they participate in that deliverance. That deliverance that the Lord worked long ago is brought into the present tense. And I I see some parallels to the Lord's Supper, how in the Lord's Supper, when we receive the body and blood of Christ, that is the Lord giving his deliverance that he won on the cross to us here and now so that so that I receive it at at the altar where I am on a Sunday morning. And that's that's a wonderful thing. Amen. And and more than that, that that when we gather at the Lord's table, um, we, we are gathering then with with the church triumphant and, and indeed gathering with our brothers and sisters across the globe uh, in, 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 the, in this invisible church, right? The, that we are all together, uh, the saints here on earth and the saints in heaven gathered at the same table. Uh, that you know, we are feasting every Sunday at the Lord's Supper with Moses, with Elijah, with, with Peter, with Paul, um, because they are gathering there to us. And, and even with our, our, our dearly beloved uh, uh, loved ones who, who now rest in the Lord, we are all gathered together there. We, we see it not with our human eyes. We know this with the eyes of faith, that we are gathered there at the Lord's Supper. Um, and it is, it is cross-temporal. Uh, it, it, it happens right now. And, and it happens every, every time we gather for the Lord's Supper, uh, that we are brought sort of out of, out of reality. And, and, and the, the, the greater reality is, is there evident with us uh, in the Feast of the Lamb. Hmm. One thing that you mentioned that's there in the summary in verses 16 and 17, and it shows up in each of these three feasts, is that this is to happen at the place the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell in it. That's where you're going to do the Passover sacrifice. Talk to us a little bit more about the the importance of that. Why is it so necessary that Moses has to repeat it so many times that they've got to do these things at the place the Lord chooses? I think the reason that that the Lord ever says anything more than once is because, well, he knows us and we are a forgetful people. We are a forgetful creation and we are constantly being tempted to do things our own way um, and not necessarily in the way that the Lord has given them to us. So you see the the people of Israel are are going to start having their own towns and and being far away. And it's so much more convenient uh, to and, and to just sit on your couch and zoom into your church service instead of having to get up, get dressed, and travel to the place where the Lord has said, gather together here 
uh, and, and, and be one people. And so the temptations we have in this modern day of, of sort of just, you know, whatever's convenient for me was the same sort of temptation that the people in, <laughs> in the Old Testament were facing. You know, why do I need to gather and, and go through all of the trouble and the expense and, and the, the, the struggles of, of yanking my six-year-old and my three-year-old behind me and marching all the way to this place when I could just do it here or just down the road? Uh, because it, it is to remember that we are one and to gather together. And there's an importance, uh, a, a real importance in being in one another's presence, uh, especially of these people who are, uh, who are so intimately a family and to remind us that, that, that we are one. Uh, we are not our own. As the New Testament tells us, we are bought with a price, you know, and yeah. so we we gather together where where He is found, and so it's the place of the Lord's choosing, and not the place of our own convenience or our own desires. Mm. Now, that was a very helpful answer, Pastor Gribbenaw, and, and particularly bringing out some of the temptations that we face in our day and age when it comes to where we go to worship or how we do that. And I think the the key here w- with the repetition is that the Lord, as you said, the Lord knows that. This is something we need to hear more than once because we are prone to forget. Moses has mentioned that throughout the book of Deuteronomy, that there's this temptation to forget. So he says to remember. And and to what you said there at the end, that when we come together to worship or when we consider how we worship, this is not something we do of our own volition, but we do because the Lord has bought us, made us his own. We come together at his command and at his invitation and promise. And so you don't just go wherever you think is a good place or do whatever you think is a good idea. Rather, you you receive the Lord get the Lord's gifts in the way that he instructs you to do that because you know that it all depends on him. And and in that way, even though, you know, you go to church in St. I assume St. Louis, Missouri or the surrounding metro area. I do go to church <laughs> and, in St. Louis, Missouri. Amen. There you go. And I go to church in Smithville, Texas. Those are different physical locations, yet in both of those physical locations we are gathered around the Lord's gifts that he has commanded us to receive, his word, his sacraments. And so even though, you know, this matter of the Lord's name dwelling in a particular physical location, that was the temple in Jerusalem, that part has passed away. Still, the Lord dwells among us in the temple, Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. We go to where he is to receive him at his command and invitation and not of anything of our own making or doing. Amen. And, you know, what, one one caveat uh, that, that I always make sure to say is, you know, there are some in, in, in my congregation. I was at I was at Grace Lutheran Church in El Centro, California. There were some who physically could not travel to church. And, and so they would call me and I would bring, bring the church to them because where two or three are gathered in Christ's name, there he is. And so, uh, you know, the, the, it was a, it was a physical impossibility for them, but the church came to them because there we would be together with all the saints. Again, this, this incarnation reality of, of, of the divine service that, that Christ is there with us where two or three are gathered. And, and so brothers and sisters listening, if, if you're physically unable to make it to church, um, you know, call your pastor and ask him to bring the church to you. 
That's right. And and he will he will love to do it. I, I can speak from experience. One of my favorite things. <laughs> he wants to do that. Yes, he wants to do that. You will make his day if you if you call him and ask him to bring the gifts of Christ to you because you've been unable to to join physically. You you will make his day. So Amen. so call him and do that. Uh, Pastor Grebenod, for the sake of time, I'm going to keep us moving. We we've got uh, just over we're about 20 minutes yet. So I want to make sure we do get to talk about the feast of weeks and the feast of booths both. We could spend the whole time talking about the Passover, I know. So let, let's pick up the next one, what's called the Feast of Weeks. Moses talks about counting seven weeks. Here we're getting into maybe a little bit more unfamiliar territory in our Old Testament knowledge. Fill us in, the Feast of Weeks, what are we talking about? Well, uh, if you look to the Septuagint, which is the, uh, the translation of the Old Testament into Greek, uh, there, there's a different word used here. Uh, it, it is Pentecost. <laughs> Which is to say 50 days, right? That's what that translation has. Um, so seven times seven, seven weeks, seven days, 49, you include the first day, you have 50. And we we know of and we and we recognize we still celebrate Pentecost. So there, there is a little bit of a connection here uh, because part of the, the faith life uh, that was brought and, and established in these ceremonial laws have have been brought over into our, our modern Christian worship, uh, not as a matter of law, but as a matter of, of uh, perhaps the fourth commandment of, of respect for and concern of, of our elders and our forefathers, uh, that it is laudable and good. And so this, this Feast of Booths, uh, or as the Septuagint would say, this Pentecost, uh, is, is still actually a part of our Christian life, our church life, even today. So the, and I appreciate sure. you bringing out the name Pentecost because that is going to be a lot more familiar to many of us. Feast of Weeks is what it's called here. I've got a note in the Lutheran Study Bible that also suggests sometimes it's called the Feast of the Harvest or the the Feast of the First Fruits, and you do see the idea of first fruits coming in in the description that Moses gives begin to count the seven weeks from the time the sickle is first put to the standing grain. And then you bring an offering and it's an offering of joy. One of the things that's that's important when it comes to the Feast of Weeks, and it'll get repeated with the Feast of Booths, is that you see this celebration expand beyond the nuclear family unit. If I, if I can use that, sounds really formal, but it expands beyond your own family to those who are in the wider community. Talk a little bit about this, this celebration that happens, the joy of the Feast of the Weeks that spreads beyond just the, the family. You know, yeah, verse verse 10, uh, you know, it, it's a free will offering from your hand. It, it's an offering made in faith and in trust, which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. And so it, it is freely given from what he that is our, our Father in heaven has given for us. And then verse seven, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughters. So, you know, your, your nuclear family, your immediate family there, right? Your male servant and your female servant, you know, those who are, are nearest to you, but not blood relatives, right? Um, the Levite who is within your town, you know, those who, who, who don't necessarily have like the, the land, because the Levitical priesthood, they were not given any land uh, because they were set aside, consecrated to the Lord. And so the people would give of their blessings from the Lord to support the Levites. Um, and then and then the sojourner. So the, the fellow who just happened to wander into town during this time, right? And the fatherless, so the orphans, the, the, the children who do not have a family, and the widow, 
uh, who the one who has has lost her male, if you will, who would stand before the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. And and so this is uh, it's a celebration to share. Uh, so it's it's a remembrance of God's blessings, chiefly and, and foremost. And because it is a, a remembrance, well, then we freely and gladly then share uh, share with others in need. You know, I, I think of of the the New Testament. You know, we love because He has loved us. We share freely because He has given us every gift of heaven. Uh, and so that's that's sort of the ontology of this feast. It is a feast of of joy, of of remembering God's blessings, and of sharing freely because we know His blessings will continue. Mm. Uh, the matter of first fruits, combined with both this this large celebration that includes all of these varieties of people. I think really does help us to make a connection with what happens on the day of Pentecost as when we use that phrase in, in Christian in the Christian sense from Acts chapter two, you think about the day of Pentecost and and what that was within, say, the book of Acts and in the early church. You have this large group of people that are brought into the Christian church as the first roots, as as those who are, you know, the beginning of the harvest that the Lord is bringing in through his church. And when you look at the list of people who are all there in Jerusalem for that that celebration, you got all kinds of people there. And I mean, it really, there's some, I think, some striking parallels between what we have described here in Deuteronomy 16 and then the way the day of Pentecost plays out in Acts chapter 2. Well, amen. And it, it is people from all over the place, uh, sojourners galore. <laughs> <laughs> and and they're brought into this this wonderful uh, celebration, and and yeah, we we are the first fruits of creation. We Christians, uh, the the first to be gathered from this this harvest that is sown in in the death and resurrection of Jesus, in the new heaven and new earth that are coming into fulfillment here, um, and and so the we might even say that that from the fall until until the cross. Uh, that was the birth pangs, the whole groaning of creation to bring forth uh, the, the the new life, the, a, a creation even better than what God had enacted uh, in in the garden, and so it, mm-hmm. and, a, and a wonderful harvesting. And I think especially one thing for us to remember of first fruits uh, is is it's an act of absolute trust, because I remember one of the first paychecks. I ever received and I looked down and there's all those taxes and things taken out. It's a lot less than I wanted. And my immediate gut reaction was it's mine. You know, (laughs) hold on to every single penny that's left because people are already taking everything. And and it's important for us to remember that when we give to the Lord, you know, it's not a matter of, Oh, what little bit can I eke out here? But, but of rejoicing that God has blessed me with this, and, and he continued to bless me, and and so, yeah, right off the top, you know, what, whatever it was that I that I was given, you know, forget what Uncle Sam's taken out, forget what's been put away in the IRA and all that stuff, you know, first first off, I give to the one in whom I put all of my all of my trust, whom I give all my love, and and whom I fear, right, because he is the only one who can kill both body and soul, right, the the creator of the universe, and so he gets. Th- he gets first tips because it's his yeah, to begin yeah. with, and he's given. Are, are you a are you a gardener, Pastor Gribbenau? Um, In the sense that everything I touch turns brown, 
Um. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I I enjoy gardening, and and I what you're talking about with the first fruits really really hits me with in, in on that level with the gardening. You know, when you when you're growing tomatoes, you're watching those tomato. You and I like to grow them from seed in in my house. So I've watched this tiny little seed sprout and grow into a plant that gets bigger and bigger. It starts to bloom. It sets fruit. You watch that fruit grow. It's green, and then it starts to turn red. And it, and even if you've never grown a tomato, you probably know the difference between a store-bought tomato and a homegrown tomato when it comes to taste. Oh, amen. And so you're waiting and waiting to eat that very first tomato, and you just you don't want to give that tomato away. <laughs> you you want to eat it. And and the other thing about gardening that that makes it all the more uh, fearful to give that first tomato away is that you know that hail and bugs and drought and any number of things could take away the rest of your harvest. And so when you see that first one, you want to hold on to it yourself. It is an element of trust. You said it so well to give that first one away, trusting that the Lord will provide what is needed through the rest of the harvest. I mean, that's as a gardener, I really appreciate it. But as you said, in any aspect of our lives, you know, giving the first fruits is a is a reminder that we can trust the Lord to provide the rest of the harvest as is needful. I mean, that's, that's such a, a beautiful image. And you know, I, I I'll give you an opportunity here to win some brownie points with with your wife. I assume you're married. <laughs> um, yes. Because one of the things I I love to do as, as husband is you know when I have something wonderful, the first person I want to share it with is my wife. And yes. And. and that is that's why marriage is uh, is really just a, it's a reflection of Christ in the church because he has the most amazing and wonderful stuff and the very thing he wants to do is to give it to us and yes. and so yes. that's that that aspect of love uh, and trust and faith in these free will offerings to share because because it's wonderful and because we love we love our neighbor um, we love our nearest neighbor, <laughs> um, and and it's and it's and God loves a cheerful giver, and indeed there is nothing better than being a cheerful giver. Mm. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you also bringing out the way that that this is the way Christ has loved us with her, His first fruits. This this reminder of what stands behind all these commands that God gives is His love for His people that He has given to them in this way, and so He's shaping them to be His own people to live in this same way. We have that reminder there in verse twelve, where Moses tells the people, "You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, so be careful to observe these statutes." That stands as the background for the keeping of the law yet again. You got about eight minutes here, Pastor Gribbon. I want to make sure we get to talk about the Feast of Booths. So just for the, the sake of, for my own sake and, and the timeline here, Passover happens about the, the months March or April for, for our calendar. Mm-hmm. Pentecost is May or June. And with the Feast of Booths, we fast forward toward the end of the harvest. So we're talking September, October on the on the calendar that we keep. On the uh, tell us about the calendar. Feast of Booths. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, so yes, the Feast of Booths or or the Feast of Tabernacles. And and by its own name, uh, this recalls that this is this is another one of these feasts where you you're going to have to travel, you're going to have to gather, you're going to have to come out of wherever you are, wherever you're comfortable, and and be in a different place and be gathered together with others. And so this is another festival of gathering. Um, and so the the booths or the tabernacle being your your temporary place of dwelling as you've gathered in one place, uh, the place that the Lord God will choose. He says this again, verse fifteen. Um, and 
and it's also another gathering of of the stranger of the sojourner of those in need um you shall rejoice again in your feast you your son your daughter your male servant your female servant the levite the sojourner the fatherless and the widow and 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 it, and it is a, a rejoicing um a a celebration of a sort of uh, in a sense you know the the end of this sort of harvest time and also a remembrance as as you're coming into those those winter months uh, that that the Lord will continue to provide even amidst uh, the, the time of year when 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 we're not actively growing right uh, when when there may be a, a greater risk of of want or of famine uh, but a, a, a feast of celebration and of sharing the blessings and and continued trust in God's God's ongoing providence. Mm. Well, and if, if I remember correctly from the other places in the Old Testament where this feast of booze or tabernacles is described, one of the the most striking features of this feast is that for the time period that they were gathered together, they were all living in like little booths or booths little or tents tabernacles. or tabernacles. They, they, were, they were tent camping. That's right. So what I mean, how does how does that tie into what you're talking about about trusting the Lord's provision and all the things? What's the point of like why would do we get together and all camp around Jerusalem for a while? Well, we we are God's people and and we are where He has called us to be. Um, but more than this, to also trust that that as we as we journey through this through this mortal life. Uh, that we know that the greatest and true treasures are those that we have in heaven, uh, those that we have in Christ Jesus. Uh, and so, in, in a very real sense, you you commend your earthly possessions to the Lord as you walk away from them, as you journey then uh, to a different place. Uh, and 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 of course, there's the journey that you're trusting as well, uh, that the Lord will will guide you through it and and return you home. Uh, but of course. One of my uh, favorite hymns, you know, "Abide with Me," is, is you know, closes with you know, I'll "Hold your cross before my closing eyes." You know, whether or not I I live to see tomorrow, I know that that my home is 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 with you, Lord, and all that I have in this in this life is uh, is, is yours and it's in your care, and no matter what, you you will guard and watch over me. So this is this traveling uh, is is a very real and practical act of, of trust um, beyond the, the benefit of gathering as one people, but also to, to commend and, and trust uh, all that you have into the hands of the Lord. In Leviticus 23, I was, I was looking it up as you were, you were talking, another of the places where these feasts are listed with some instructions that Moses doesn't repeat here. He, does, he doesn't need to emphasize and, and repeat everything here. The Lord reminds his people through the Feast of Booths that he had made them dwell in these booths or these tents as they were leaving Egypt, wandering in the wilderness to the promised land. And so this, you know, yearly reminder of, hey, we're going to live in these booths for a week is is a remembrance of this is how the Lord provided for us while we were wandering in the wilderness and how he also fulfilled the promise to bring us into the promised land. We didn't dwell in these booths forever. He did bring us into the promised land. So we see in the, the Feast of Booths, I think, you know, a, a reminder that the Lord cares for his people. He provides for his people in the wilderness or the promised land. And he keeps his promises to save his people as he'd promised Abraham to give him the land. So he did. He brought Abraham's descendants into the promised land and the feast of booths 
reminded the people of that every year. And again, that theme of joy comes through loud and clear at the very end there, so that you will be altogether joyful is the way that verse 15 ends. What a, what a marvelous thing. Amen. And, and you know how how often do we uh, do we sometimes wonder you know as they wandered in the in the wilderness you know where are we going how why is this taking so long <laughs> are we there yet and and how often do we also then say you know maybe it was better back there but we but we hold fast that the Lord has a plan that we you know, our our dwelling places with Him um, be that in a booth in a in a house uh, in a in a cathedral. Uh, it, it, our dwelling places with him and he will always lead us uh, to, to the place that he has appointed. Pastor Gribbenau, we've got just under two minutes on the morning looking at these three feasts, the way Moses summarizes them at the end, help us to wrap it up. And again, help us to see Christ in the Israelite worship through these three feasts. Our recap, you know, three years or three times a year, all the males shall appear before the Lord, your God at the place he will choose at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Passover, uh, the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, the Feast of Booths, they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Now, we, we probably hear that as, as law, you know, be sure you bring your present. But this is also you know, his promise. They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. He will give and provide. For every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. And of course, we, uh, speaking of, uh, of appearing before the Lord, uh, we do not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Um, but, you know, on our own merits, on our own works, uh, we could not appear before the Lord with anything but, but filthy rags. Instead, Christ giving every single good gift— uh, the blessing of the Lord that He has given to you, which is, uh, which is, you know, your redemption, your justification, uh, righteousness, the Holy Spirit, and and then of course the promise that that the good works that Christ has given to you for you to carry and bear them, uh, that the Lord has laid in your hand. So every man shall shall stand before the Lord with the good works that Christ has given him, not be empty-handed, and of course God's. God's proclamation, Christ himself proclaiming as the eschatological judge, the judge of the end times, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. And so as we appear before the Lord, we have every rich of heaven, every riches, because he has laid them into our hands by faith. Pastor Doug Gribbenau is mission advocate for KFUO Radio in St. Louis, Missouri, helping us today with Deuteronomy 16, verses 1 to 17. Pastor Gribbenau, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you very much, brothers and sisters. God's peace to you all. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. He has brought us into his church as the first fruits, and he promises that he will take us from this pilgrimage of this life and into the promised land of eternal life. Christ is the fulfillment of these feasts from the Old Testament, and in him we celebrate, we have great joy. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.